go ahead and turn in uh, our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. If you are following along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 573. If you're using your app, you're there already. So we are in the midst of our Advent series uh, on joy. Uh, last week, Pastor Aaron spoke from Isaiah 7 and spoke about how Jesus was Emmanuel, that God with us meant that there is joy in God's presence that outshines all else. Then Pastor Aaron said amen. And Rochelle gave birth. <laughs> That's all he remembers. Uh, named Graham and Lauren, and we rejoice with them on the healthy life of these two new additions in their household. But would it surprise you if I told you that a birth announcement about them being born had been written 800 years earlier? And thus it shall be that the tall blonde Norse warrior shall give birth <laughs> to twins. No, that doesn't usually happen. But today's passage is an 800-year birth announcement prophecy. It has happened. And we're looking at a very familiar Christmas passage here, one that many of you could quote, or if you're familiar with Handel's Messiah, you could sing. And we're going to get to a passage, you're going to say, well, let's just stand and sing that line, because this passage has been used all over the place. It's in Christmas cards, it's in songs, it's in Christmas carols. We see it all over the place. It's a very familiar passage. That's why we want to focus on it, so it's not too familiar with us, that we just kind of glide over the truth that is in this passage. Let's read Isaiah 9, 1 to 7, and then we'll kind of look at it in uh, parts to see what it means to us today. Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this scripture, your word to us. And God, 
though it was written many years ago, God, it still is something that we can cling to, we can hold on tight to. And God, I, I pray that today as we look at it, that your word would go forth. God, that you would bring afresh and anew to our, our minds, our hearts, and our ears something new from this passage. God, something to change us. God, to cause our eyes to fall on you and follow you even more closely. And we thank you again for your word and for you being here with us today. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So let me, let me set it up. So Isaiah 8 ended in the darkness and gloom of a corrupt and wicked people who are seeking occult wisdom and rejecting the wisdom of God. They're roaming the earth in angry despair and cursing God. It's just not happy times. Things seem to be everywhere they're turning. Something is not right. It's not as, as what we want it to be, as what we thought it was going to be. They're walking around in despair. Matthew, who, if you read the, the Gospel of Matthew, he loves recording fulfilled prophecy. He'll say, just as it is written, just as it, he loves showing, it's like the Old Testament that, that we have is being fulfilled now in this person, Jesus Christ, and he does that here too. In Matthew 4, 13 to 16, uh, after being tempted in the desert, Jesus withdraws to Galilee. And Matthew writes, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, words we just read so that what was written by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And then verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 9 are quoted by Matthew. He brings that right back in. He goes, in case you don't remember your, your scripture study, this is what I'm talking about. This same Jesus, after being tempted, went and came out of Zebulun and Naphtali, just like in Isaiah, it spoke of that the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Then God says once again, let there be light. There shall be a light in the darkness. That light is Jesus. Verse two, it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Their present darkness is outshined by future joy. Jesus is the light in the spiritual darkness of Israel. So though they are walking around in despair and cursing God and anger, there is a light that is coming. John 1.9 says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John 8.12, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, just this connection back to this prophecy in Isaiah, this 800-year-old birth announcement prophecy. Jesus is pointing back saying, that's me. Just as when he went to the temple for the first time. He read, said something, sat down, he said, and today this prophecy is fulfilled. He was the fulfillment of all these prophecies. Now, it's hard to understand what they were going through. This message of hope and joy didn't really resonate 
with Israel's situation. So today is December 9, 2018. Just a few days ago, we remembered December 7, 1941, and what that meant to our nation. So if you can imagine, today was December 9 of 1941. And a pastor or a prophet got up and said, but there's going to be a light that's coming and all of the despair that you see in front of you will be taken away. We'll be sitting there going, I don't see it. <laughs> With what we're feeling, I wasn't around then, <laughs> but that feeling, I don't understand that. So I bring up something I do understand. September 11. If the Sunday after September 11 happened, and you remember just all, again, the despair, what's coming next? There's, is there any good that's coming? And for a pastor to get up and say, oh, but there's a light that's coming. You won't be walking around in darkness. We go, there's a disconnect. I don't get this. I'm not seeing where you're coming from. The people of Israel were feeling that. Remember, they're walking around, and it's just, nothing seems to be going right. And this guy steps forward, and says these, these prophetic statements, and like, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't see it. It's interesting because Pastor Aaron last week when he mentioned, <laughs> kind of talking about Isaiah's, maybe it was two weeks ago, jo- Isaiah's job description, said, I want you to go share this, uh, this prophecy, and by the way, no one's gonna listen to you. And actually more and more people are gonna turn away from what you've said. You can understand why. They're looking at it as like, okay, you're crazy. You know, I, I don't know what, what you're doing or what you're thinking, but I don't see any of this, of what you're seeing. Isaiah announced to them that their present gloom and distress would give way to a time of happiness and joy and salvation. In verses four to six, he gives three reasons for this joy. He says, let me spell it out for you. Verses four to six say, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So three, three reasons he gives. Number one, the rod of the oppressor would be broken. In verse four there. He reminds them by just talking about the day of Midian, that would have brought to their mind, oh, Midian, Gideon, that's right. Remember how he just out of nowhere, you know, went from 3,000 strong men ready to go, and God said, no, that's too many. Let's bring it down, but no, still too many. And he brought it down to 300. And he said, now the odds are so much against you, you're going to understand whose victory this really is. And they didn't even have to lift the sword. He said, use lights and, and pots and pans. So he said, all right, this is really not us. This doesn't make sense again. And the Midianites started killing themselves. So he's reminding, he said, do you remember what I did back then? I'm going to do something like that again. Trust me. I've shown myself faithful to you. Israel and Judah would be saved at the last moment by the Lord. And then Verse 5, Isaiah says to them that warfare would be eliminated. When he talks about the, the boots and every garment rolled in blood, that's, that's talking about the, uh, 
the warfare and all the elements of warfare that are left on the battlefield that are soaked in blood because of, of what all has been going on. He said, those are going to be burned up and done away with. You don't have to deal with war anymore, but that's all that they knew. And that's what they thought. That's what our Savior is. And he's going to suddenly come in. Um, if you don't know, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Huge. Anybody want to watch all three of them together? I'll give you a day. We can do that. In the second one, I don't know if you remember, Gandalf says, but on the third day, look to the north. And if you remember, he comes out there and it's like, it almost is like this. They're just like, there's no way we're going to win. There are so many of them and so few of us. And they come out and the sun kind of breaks over the mountain and they look up and there's Gandalf, all white, a white horse, light shining behind him. And then they begin the descent down the hill and take over. That's what Israel was thinking. We're going to suddenly look and there's going to be our Savior, our Messiah on a white horse coming in and he's just going to wipe them out. This is going to be awesome. A child will be born. Excuse me? The promise of a child. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, a child. That didn't fit what they thought or hoped or expected. They wanted a warrior riding in on a white horse to save the day. This, this verse though, interesting, just those few words, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, shows both the deity and the humanity of Jesus together because it's God saying, I'm sending someone, he's gonna be a child, but you're understanding now, he's gonna be fully God, he's gonna be fully man, and I'm sending him. As Pastor Aaron said last week, Emmanuel means God with us, and yet he came as a child. The fact that he came for us to benefit us is also established in these words. For to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. And on his shoulders would be placed the weight of a perfect and lasting government. Imagine that. With what all we're seeing, can you imagine a perfect and lasting government? And what that would feel like? And I think he's giving a hint there. Only that government exists when it's placed on Christ's shoulders, on Messiah's shoulders. That's the only time you'll have this, but it's coming. There will be a time when it will, will be here. So back to, the, uh, back to the birth announcement analogy. Now, most babies have <clears throat> one name written on their birth announcement, like Graham Matthew or Lauren May. But Isaiah announces the birth of a baby with four names. His name's going to be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One name wasn't sufficient to describe this very special child. Not only that, but these names tell us what the baby will do. Imagine reading a birth announcement that says, excellent violin player, marathon runner, future CEO of a major corporation. 
that's, we don't know what our children are going to be. We can hope and we're going to provide everything we can to come alongside that everything will be provided for them. But birth announcements don't list accomplishments. This one did. This baby is different. Wonderful counselor. Let's look actually at those, those four names just a little more in depth because I really believe that those four titles are for each one of you here today. Whatever you're going through, wherever you are, these titles are promises to you. So hear this prophecy that was written 800 years ago as though it's being written for you today, and I want you to really grab on and hold on tightly to whichever one God is speaking to you with right now. God's word is alive. <laughs> it speaks to us today. So the first name given is Wonderful Counselor. Now this indicates that Jesus is going to be exceptional, distinguished, a supernatural source of extraordinary wisdom. Now we're familiar with counselors. Many of us probably have gone and seen a counselor, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we know that that counselor is limited in the wisdom that he has. And we hope just to be made a little bit better by spending time with him, where this one is a wonderful counselor. It's a supernatural source. He has a royal kingly program that causes the world to marvel at, what's being at what is happening. Jesus came both to do signs and wonders, but to give wisdom by his teachings as well. That is amazing news for those of us that are looking for guidance and wisdom, to know that he provides wonderful and exceptional wisdom and counsel for you and for me. Mighty God indicates that Jesus is God himself, divinely strong and powerful as a warrior. And they would have picked up on this. They would have said, all right, this, this is kind of what we're looking for. You're talking about power here, and you're talking about a warrior. They show the infinite power of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is an omnipotent warrior knowing everything and all-powerful, who will someday return to earth to slay all his enemies with the sword coming out of his mouth, which is the word of God. Again, amazing news for those who are weak and are feeling beaten up that there is a promise coming your way that God has given right here. Everlasting Father indicates that Jesus will be timeless, enduring, caring for his people forever as a father cares for his children, as a compassionate provider and protector. Jesus plays his fatherly role toward his disciples. As you see him interacting with them, he often will refer to them and say, my son, my daughter. He's already being that father to them. And he reminds them of that, that he is the true representation of his father. So if you've seen him, you have seen the father. It's amazing news for those of us who are alone 
feeling unappreciated, to know that we have a God who loves us as a father, provide all of our needs. Every need will be met through his son, Jesus Christ. And he promises that according to his word. Prince of Peace indicates that Jesus will bring deep well-being and right relationships. His rule will bring wholeness and well-being, a government of justice and peace. Again, that's just, those words seem so foreign to us today. As you look around the world, you know, everywhere you're, you're looking, it seems like nobody understands what peace is. There's always something that is being brought up. There's a war, there's a war of words. God promises that my son is going to be the prince of peace. He is, and if you think about a king and a prince, a prince is, to, is the one that is typically sent in the king's place. Usually a prince is, set, is sent for battle. You know, here comes the prince, we're in trouble now. He says, oh, my, my son is a prince and he's coming to bring peace. And throughout the scripture, we see what that peace is, a peace that this world won't even understand. And I think even as we try to imagine that, we can't understand that. It's a peace that only the Father can give and only he can bring. Most of all, Jesus gives eternal peace with God by his death on the cross. And there's that connection between Christmas and Easter. His birth, Christ's love, God's love for us by sending his son and his death on the cross, a continuation of the demonstration of his love for us. It, just, it reminds me of one of my favorite verses, Romans 5, 8. But in this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then the next part of it says, while we were still his enemies, Christ gave up his life for us. So when you think about a, a prince coming to bring peace, you think, all right, he's coming to bring peace for the people that are on his side. Well, at that point, there is no one on his side. We're all sinners. We're all separated from him. So here's a prince coming and saying, I'm coming to bring peace to you. I'm going to die for all of you who are my enemies right now. I don't understand that. There's a lot of stuff in scripture. I just, it's, it's too deep. I just don't get it. And then I'm reminded where God said, yeah, but my ways are higher than your ways. You won't get it. That's what faith is about. That's what trust is about. Trust me, I've been there. I will continue to be there. I love you. Here's my son to demonstrate my love for you. That, uh, being Prince of Peace, is amazing news for all of us who lack peace with each other and with God. So th that last title describes what he will do with his life. He will finally establish a rule where justice and righteousness are the norm. And this is not a temporary thing, but it will be forever. It will have no end. Gabriel's prophecy to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse, verses 30 to 33 says, And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. We, as we are looking around and we see presidencies, as we look around the world, we see monarchies or whatever type of leadership, they will come to an end because that person will die. We're promised here, his kingdom, there is no end. It will last forever, and if you back up, it will be perfect. It will be the perfect government on his shoulders. It will be uh, bounded and understood with peace. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. And he will be able to do this because this has been the design of God. The zeal of the Lord from moment one, from the fall until that time. This text announces that although things might have been bleak and bad at that time, the birth is announced of a child who will change everything. Nothing is going to stay the same for any of us. Whether you believe or not, nothing stays the same. Everything changed. Because now we have a decision. It's been placed in our hands. What will you do with the truth of this, of my son coming for you? The birth is announced of a child who will change everything. And Isaiah had already given a hint of this in chapter 7, verse 14, which again last week it says, this child will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now, Isaiah, Isaiah guarantees these things will happen and this king will be born on the basis of God's own passionate commitment to fulfilling his purposes for his people. When it says, the end of verse 7 in Isaiah chapter 9, it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord that describes God as being a jealous lover who will not abandon you. And it reminds us time and time again, Jesus did at the end of Matthew, I will never leave you or forsake you. And one that, if not every week, every other week in youth group, I'm reminding in Hebrews where Jesus said, uh, where Hebrews quotes God and it says, I will never, 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 never leave you or forsake you. That verse in the original Greek has five negatives. And you can almost imagine the writer of Hebrews like, do you guys get it? <laughs> He's not going anywhere. He is here forever because of his love. And that zeal of a jealous lover who will never abandon is how this will be accomplished. When will this be? You know, how will this all come to pass? And Isaiah, they had, it was just a promise they were going to hold on to in Isaiah's time. They didn't fully understand what that meant. But for us, living on this side of the coming of Christ, and as he came to die for us, and as he rose from the dead on the third day, we can be joyful. We can be joyful not be because our lives are perfect all of a sudden, not because we live a sinless life, but because we as sinners can know and experience that He is our righteousness. 
we can be joyful because he has made reconciliation for us with God and now we are at peace with God. We can be joyful because we know that while we cannot expect complete justice on this earth, he is in control and he reigns with justice. Remember what Isaiah said, for to us a child is born. Jesus was born for us. He came to be our redeemer. He came to set us free from the slavery and the burden of sin, shortcomings, and lack of peace. He came to take the oppressor away from our shoulder, that one who is continually walking around and making claims and statements about us. He came to bring a solution for, my, for our sins. He carried those sins on the cross. He wants to be our, yours, miraculous, wonderful counselor. Our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. Of peace there will be no end. Peace with God through faith. Where are you in that? Have you made peace with God through faith? Have you said, I believe? I believe what this says. I give my life to you. It's interesting, we, uh, one of our trips to uh, Peru, uh, we had a time where we, we were going around and, and uh, sharing, I was watching because I don't speak Spanish, um, sharing good news in Spanish with children. And one of the girls on our trip, she came up and she said, all right, well this, this little girl wants to pray to receive Christ. Can I do that? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you do this because you're the one that has, has shared. We were using the wordless book, absolutely my favorite way to share the gospel. <laughs> shared that in Spanish and she prayed and then on the way back, I remember she called me uh, that, into uh, right before dinner that night and she goes, Jeff, I have a question. Are there certain words that we're supposed to say when we're praying for people to come a Christian? I said, no. So nowhere in Scripture does Jesus say, and pray these words. There's not magic words. I said, it's interesting because if you see what Jesus says, he said, follow me. That's it. Not that that makes it simple. <laughs> follow me. That's what it is. That's what it means to be at peace with God, to say, I'm done trying on my own. I have failed. It's yours now. I want to follow you. You are the one who is going to lead me and guide me the rest of the way. Where are you with that? Have you made that decision? Have you made that choice to say, it's not me. I can't do this. I've just failed. It has to be about him. And today, I choose to follow Christ. Look at Christ and say, let's go. I can't wait for this great adventure that we're about to embark on as I'm following you. 
Of peace there will be no end. Peace with others this holiday season because Christ has forgiven you. Christmas and and this time is all about relationships, right? Who's coming? When are they coming? We have to schedule this thing out because it's going to be crazy, you know, and how long are they going to be here? What meals are we providing? Who's, Who's going to be picking up whom? It's just, it can get very crazy around this time. Add into that, oh, but Uncle, Uncle Bob's coming too. We haven't spoken since last Christmas. Or, you know, relationships are messy because people are involved. <laughs> so as you are entering into this season um, of that peace that there will be no end, I want to challenge you to have peace with others. Because Christ has forgiven you. Christ says several times, he says, as you forgive others, I forgive you. And I will tell you, and I'm going to not be sure where it is. One is in, I think, in Mark, and one is in Matthew. I like, I think I, think I like the Matthew version better, because it says, I will forgive you as you forgive others. And the other one says, unless you forgive others, I will not forgive you. It's really tough. I'm like, wait, that means it's up to me. And I've looked at it in our small group. We talk about that all the time because it's like, that's a tough one. But it's God's word. So there is something about God's forgiveness to us that we have to express to others in our forgiveness to them and working on making right relationships and living in peace with them. Where are you with that? Probably somebody just came to your mind. It's like, oh, please don't let it be about this person in my mind now. That's going to be really hard to do. And it will be. But that's what God is calling us to do because of this peace. And the best thing about God is, not the best thing, it sounds kind of weird. Every time Christ asks us to do something, he reminds us, he says, but my spirit is there, I will do it. I'm going to be right there with you when you do this. He doesn't say, good luck, go do this. He goes, I'm right there with you. So if, you, if somebody is in your mind and you say, all right, by the grace of God, by the power of God, I'm going to go do this, and I know that Christ is right there with me, so I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm not sure what the result is going to be, but the scripture says, in as far as it is concerned with you, be at peace with everyone. It's not up to me to make sure that you're at peace with me. I'm trying. I'm not going to do anything to instigate anything. But I need to be at peace with everyone. And it is peace everlasting. So this Christmas season, do you need to invite Christ in? Do you need to say, this gift of a child that is born and a son that is given... I accept this gift and I choose to follow him today. Do you need to embrace him and say that because of who he is, I'm going to change and I'm going to be at peace with others? Is it time just to, maybe, maybe everything is all great with you. And you're like, I'm good with God and I'm good with others. Then this Christmas is about adoring him and just loving him with all that you are. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord, there is no one like our God.
And that is so exciting. Let's pray.